The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Once again, the world's attention is on lions, with a tremendous momentum unseen across society since my guest Ian Mickler and I last spoke, at which time we were discussing his efforts, along with Donnelly Patman, as Australia was in the process of writing legislation to ban lion trophy imports. That ban is now law. Then the unethical hunting of a wild lion named Cecil created a global wave of outrage, peeling back another layer of the onion of awareness of the challenges wild lions face and the ultimate price they pay to live and roam in the habitats they have left. Yet through all that outrage, a singular story kept sliding under the radar of the global headlines. But not today. The cat has been launched out of the bag with the amazing documentary film Blood Lions, the hard-hitting documentary exposing the underbelly of yet another kind of lion, where in South Africa, every single day, at least two to three captive-bred or tame lions are being killed in canned hunts. Blood Lions follows the acclaimed environmental journalist and safari operator and lead of the team of the filmmakers Blood Lions, Ian Mickler, and his team on their journey to uncover the realities of the multi-million dollar predator breeding and canned lion hunting industries in South Africa. I am honored to have Ian back with me today, and we're going to pry the lid off this gruesome industry. Welcome, Ian. Thank you, Ellie, and uh, welcome to everyone there. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time. I know you're on an extremely busy schedule because Blood Lions literally is launching all around the world. I believe it just uh, finished uh, several screenings in South Africa. Yes, we um, premiered the film in Durban at the Durban International Film Festival. And the film then went on to to um, have another uh, four or five screenings at that festival. All of them hugely acclaimed, sold out audiences, um, standing ovations. So fantastic reception. And that, of course, unleashed at the same time as Cecil this incredible global response to issues around lions. We've subsequently also had screenings in Cape Town, and those were all full 
sold out as well, standing ovations and huge media interest. And interestingly for us, um, a number of notable politicians and decision makers uh, attended those Cape Town screenings. Um, and so we've got others that are rolling out around the country. And on the 31st of August, I head to Australia to do screenings in Perth, um, Sydney, Melbourne and Canberra, which includes a parliamentary screening there as well. I find it amazing that you launched right in the heart of Lion Country where all this is going on. Uh, what was, you said you had an overwhelming response, but what what's the other side of the response from, let's say, the breeders, uh, the hunters, um, and the well, legislators? Well, it's been very interesting. So the various stakeholders that we would expect a response from um, have responded in, in different ways. Government have continued to do what they do very well here in South Africa, and that's stick their head in the ground, uh, sometimes pretending there is no issue and hoping that it will go away, or they don't really understand the issue, so do nothing about it, or they do understand the issue, but they don't have the vision or the leadership to respond, so do nothing about it. So government, while it's disappointing, it's kind of expected. Um, the very interesting response was from the Professional Hunters Association, um, otherwise known as FASA. And we know that after the first two screenings, their CEO and president were tasked by the board to come down to Durban to actually view the film. And they did that. And we actually had a discussion with them after the film. People, I mean, the, the head of, of Fazer, I know, and we actually interviewed her for the film, although they then subsequently refused to allow her interview to be used. Um, anyway, 24 hours after that viewing, they released a statement, which is available on, on the Internet, um, and they... Uh, said in that statement that their current position on the breeding and can hunting of lions is, quote, no longer tenable, unquote, and they called for a complete review of all breeding and can hunting practices in South Africa. That so that is, was a, that's excellent. I, I did read that response, and I shared it, and I passed it on, as well as sharing and bringing attention to blood lions. So um, they wouldn't let you... Uh, they wouldn't let her or you uh, present that statement. Is what is that? What does that mean? In the sense, are they just speaking out to say, "Okay, we heard this, we saw it," but? Well, okay. So again, an, an, an interesting point. Um, we haven't heard much from the South African Predator Association, and the head of that organisation is also um, um, uh, interviewed for the film. Um, but my sense is, first of all, the Bloodlines team welcomed Father's statement. I mean, it's the first time in 20 years that we've had them put anything that's positive out. Uh, and when I say positive, positive in terms of, okay, they understand that these practices are not acceptable to a large sector of the, of the, of the wider general public and a, a growing group of conservation agencies and conservationists and scientists. So they're acknowledging that, which is a first, um, and they've also called for a review, which is something that they've never done before. 
Previously, what they've done is um, either do nothing or what they've done more recently after the um, Supreme Court of Appeals here in South Africa squashed any attempt the then minister was in trying to implement to change these practices, they have actually been looking at ways of making can hunting more palatable. So we have this constant um, effort from, from the hunters and the breeders trying to pretend that there's can hunting no longer exists and that in fact they are involved in what they call captive hunting and that captive hunting is, is acceptable but can hunting isn't acceptable. Well, let's, um, let's, let's, now, let's stay here for one yes. little second. So okay. it's been a while since we talked about this, although I've talked about it further on, on this program. Let's help understand that semantic difference between canned and captive and why it really doesn't address the issue. Okay, so can hunting, the term can hunting was born after the Cook Report, which was a UK investigative journalist journalism um, TV report um, blew a hole in what was going on. And that came out in 1997-98, so quite a long time ago. And they showed very clearly how hunters were baiting lions and they were being shot in in, in closed areas. That was the beginning of the term can hunting. And so it was used right the way through, and, 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 and in fact, it's still used today. But because of the connotation now and the negativity around it, I guess the PR experts um, for those involved decided that, well, maybe what we can do is change the term and um, come up with something that is more palatable or at least gets away from the negativity of can hunting. So they have decided that can hunting is something which refers to baiting or dragging an animal. Okay, So that's their... The description, if the animal is baited or drugged and it's shot in a very, very confined area, that's can hunting. But they say that if you breed an animal to be killed in captivity and it's shot in captivity, but it's just a bigger area and it's not baited or drugged, then that's captive hunting and that's acceptable. Sorry. So, so we, have this, we have this nuance in the word play. Um, and, but at the end of the day, for everyone out there, you know, animals, lions specifically are being bred in captivity to be killed in captivity and they have no chance of escape. Um, it also brings in a bit of a sticky wicket, just to bring up Cecil for a minute. He was baited and he was lured out of a park into private land. So it just sort of highlights the fact that this definition between canned and captive still leaves some loopholes um, for wild lions, let alone lions bred in captivity, as we had said before, bred for the bullet, for the only purpose of being killed. So um, let's do a little background here. Um, there are a number of lion breeders uh, by the predator's uh, association of Predator Breeders in South Africa that are breeding these lions. So they don't just suddenly end up out in an enclosure to be hunted. There are some spin-off industries that get these lions to this place, to this place of an age where they can be hunted. There's these. Can you tell us a little bit about these spin-off industries, just so that we can uh, remind our listeners the whole shebang of what's involved here? 
Okay, so you're absolutely right, Eli. Um, we have about 200 facilities. So these are farms that are owned and run by businessmen or farmers across South Africa on private land. And they are holding anywhere between six, but possibly as many as 8,000 large predators in captivity. The vast majority are lions, but they also have tigers and cheetah and wild dogs and then exotics like cougars and mountain lions and pumas and everything else. So what happens is you have a number of revenue streams now. So it's become a lot more lucrative than it was 10 years ago when I started investigating. The breeders then will breed up and they will sell to a whole variety of facilities. The first point is that the cubs are taken away from their mother's some as young as three, four days old, but mostly at about a week to two weeks. And that allows this whole petting and cuddling industry. And it's huge. There are many, many kids and adults who want to come onto a farm and pet and cuddle a lion. So they are making a lot of money out of that industry. They also rent them out. They allow people to adopt them. Um, but once those cubs get to about four months of age, they get a little rough on, on with their teeth, so they then get removed and they go into what we call the walking with lions um, revenue stream. So you can now go to facilities in South Africa and you can go walking with these lions. So you have a, a, a guide or a ranger or whatever, and they will have sticks to keep the lions away from you if they get a bit too close. And you walk with them and then they have a feeding activity and you get to take your pictures with them and you can... Um, kind of hold them. You can't really cuddle them, but you at least get to hold them. Uh, and then once these lions get to, you know, into their teens, they then start again becoming a little dangerous. They get a little rough. So that's the end of the walking with lions revenue stream. Then there's a kind of a division that takes place. The lions either get culled for the lion bone trade, or they get sold out, or they get passed on to breeding uh, facilities, other facilities, or they will be put into enclosures and uh, bred up uh, until they are ready for a canned hunt. So the big males, of course, will be identified already at, at a youngest age. So you have these whole variety of revenue streams now, starting at a few days old already, um, and then ending up either killed in a can hunt or slaughtered for the lion bone trade or being sold off into another breeding facility or even to collectors. A lot of cheetah, a lot of wild dog, for example, are going to the Middle East, to the Far East, to collectors, private collectors. Um, so what's important for bloodlines is that we're not only targeting the can hunters, we're also targeting the tourism authorities, the travel industry, the travel agents around the world who um, are sending visitors to these facilities and are selling volunteers to come and work on these facilities. And the message from Bloodlines is very clear to all those people, is there is no conservation value whatsoever. So all you're doing is you're sending someone to a facility and, and they are contributing or helping bring that cub up so that it will end up either in a canned hunt or in the lion bone trade. So it, it really is the con in conservation in these, and that's not a, a phrase I coined, but it's so very applicable. Now, Ian, you've been 
working on this film and this this project of under um, finding out and bringing to the light the industry of canned hunting for close to 20 years. You were the lead investigator and um, consultant for the film Blood Lions, and um, I, I watched the trailer. It's very, very difficult to watch. Um, it seems, and it, it brought to mind that we all love to watch and lo- uh, cuddle and pet cubs, and we think it's cute, uh, unwarily thinking that um, these animals cannot defend themselves. Even at three months old, they can. Um, what we need to understand is, even at three months old, these are lions. They have all the instincts of lions. They just don't have necessarily the ability and the strength to do something about it. So as you would said, as they get a bit older, they start having the strength to do something about it. So they're not tame lions. Um, they're not um, being lions created to be with people. They are lions being bred by people, habituated to people, which adds a whole other dimension to when they are out there in the enclosure to be hunted that um, I've seen, and I'm sure many have, uh, clips that lions come running up to the hunters and easily shot. And the hunters are usually sitting in a truck uh, with a high-tech weapon, and um, they take a shot or a bow and arrow and kill this lion. To me, A, that's not hunting. There's no sense of, and we haven't talked about this, fair chase. We've talked about it previously, but what do the, in, in, in reaction to blood lions and talking with Faza and the communities and launching this in South Africa, what do the professional ethical hunters have to say? Well, I think, okay, so you're, yeah, again, you've made some very valid points there. You know, all global hunting organizations have a charter, and in that charter, they claim to be ethically aware, they claim to be um, involved in fair chase, they claim to, to love the animals, they claim to be involved for conservation purposes. And then if you speak to each of the hunters themselves, they would also, I guess, ascribe to or prescribe to all of those qualities. However, as you pointed out, none of this involves any of that. It's unethical, there's no fair chase involved, and there's absolutely no conservation value whatsoever. When we put this to the main hunting bodies in the past, they have typically, well, they have tried to fudge those issues by claiming that there is a conservation value um, and as I said, they try to change the definition from can to captive. Um, so they try to dress it up to make it look more palatable. But patently they have failed because the outrage continues to grow. What has also happened is that there has a sector of the hunting community who, and this is a growing sector, are completely opposed to these practices. So we have a group called SAMPIO. Now, I'm not sure exactly what it stands for, but I'm going to give you the... It's www.sampeo.co.za. Now, if you go onto SAMPIO's website, they will tell you what SAMPIO stands for, but they'll also very clearly tell you that they are against every aspect of what's going on in South Africa. They're against the breeding of these predators, they're against the hunting practice of these predators, and they agree with us completely that there is no conservation value, that it's unethical, and that they should be stopped. We have two of those hunters, Gary Kelly and Paul Stones, who are actually part of Bloodlines, 
So we actually interview them, and their voices are very strong voice in the film. Um, so they make a strong stand on behalf of ethical hunters. What's interesting is that from American perspective, Safari Club International seems to still come down on the side of the breeders and the can hunters because a lot of them are still allowed to exhibit over there and they're selling their hunts over there. And of course, we know that at least 50% of all the can hunters that come to South Africa are from America. Um, Gary Kelly and Paul Stones, when they go and exhibit, they stand at, at SCI. They stand on a platform which is very strongly against, and they make that very clear. Their banners say no to canned hunting. Well, so you, you bring up an interesting point. I'm sorry to interject here by bringing up Safari Club International or Dallas Safari Club. I was reading the other day their regulations and their classifications on lion trophies. And now it seems they have a whole new category called estate lions, which encompasses those lions bred in canned or captive facilities to be hunted. And it's it's prefaced that wild lions are scrappy and, um, you know, it's scruffy and have a lot of scars and uh, in terms of a trophy and the head on the wall, they want a really good looking lion with a big mane. And um, so there's something to be said that, uh, a lion in a canned captive is not fighting for his life in the way a wild lion does. They do still fight for the life, and you will see that in the film Blood Lions. But um, by creating a category for estate lions, doesn't that, A, it brings to my mind, A, either that it's recognizing and it's allowing this and saying it's okay, or B, is that going to put more pressure on wild lions because who wants an estate lion? It sounds like you know a lion raised at the Four Seasons or something like that versus a lion who's out there in the wild. How does how does that affect anything? Or does well, it? Yeah. Okay, so again, I mean, again, so what we have rather than SCI coming out and saying, you know what? This is unethical, it's not acceptable, it goes against all our so-called principles of ethics, fair chase. They are saying, well, there's a lot of opportunity here for us hunters to go and shoot lions under easy conditions. It's much cheaper, it's guaranteed, um, it won't take you nearly as long. And a lot of our members are actually the part of the, of the breeders or the hunters and the hunting operators. So let's look at ways of trying to make it palatable and fudging the issues, and that's what they're doing again. So um, it, it, it boggles me, making it palatable, making it easy um, for somebody who's typically unfit, um, not all hunters, but these trophy collectors. They just want to go in and, you know, at least there's limits, 14 days to pretend they are chasing game. Um, game, to me, implies ungulates, not carnivores. Um, it includes elephants and rhino, but um, this whole thing of making it easy to bag your kill. Let's talk about this mentality a little bit. There is a huge theme of brutality that runs through uh, blood lions, and you have an interesting comment at the opening of the film, and certainly in the trailer, about this brutality, and that it is somewhat connected to South Africa's history. Can you can you expound on that a little bit? Well, it's, okay, yeah. So it's one of the most common questions I get asked is, 
why does this take place so in South Africa it's not prevalent in any other country across the continent it's all in South Africa there have been hints of it in uh, Namibia and possibly Zimbabwe and Zambia but if there has been it's been very very small numbers and I've given it a lot of thought and having investigated these industries and the, and the trophy hunting industry for so long now, I've come up you know, with a number of issues. So the first one is that South Africa has private property laws. So, and that distinguishes it from most other African countries. You are entitled to put a big double-stranded, high electrified fence around your property and you're entitled to say this is my land and what I do behind these fences it's of no one else's business. Um, so, so that's an important point. The second one is I, I look at the religious issues here. Um, a lot of the people, in fact, nearly all the people involved in, in these practices are come from a Calvinistic background. Um, and so they, they will tell you. I've had it told to me a number of occasions that man is on this earth and have dominion to, to, to have dominion over all other species, and my religious beliefs entitle me to do this. It justifies it. Okay, and then the other issue here, which is also a very important one, and that is that again, going back to who is involved in this, um, a lot of not all, but certainly a lot of the breeders and the can hunting operators and the people involved in the wider industry came out of that apartheid era. And um, I don't, I'm not saying that everyone who is a breeder or a can hunter supported apartheid, but I am saying that the vast majority of them came out of that apartheid era. And as you know, apartheid was characterized by a complete lack of consideration for human rights. Now, to ask people who were completely unconcerned about human rights to make the leap to now have a consideration for animal rights or even animal welfare is beyond their frame of reference. Um, so if you throw all of that into the pot, the private laws, the religious, the private uh, property laws, the re religious belief system, the apartheid era, um, you have a, a very, very um, brutal mix that enables people to carry out these practices behind high fences exactly the way they want to do it. Um, and I say brutal because, yes, South Africa has a very brutal history as well. We have a very brutal past, and it's tied into apartheid. And, you know, if you go onto these farms, you, you cannot be struck, you cannot not be struck by the brutality. The way they cage or enclose these apex predators that for anyone who has an understanding of the natural world, immediately senses, well, hang on, this is an apex predator, it's territorial, and it requires space, sometimes large amounts of space to survive. Here, we have them reduced to small enclosures, sometimes with other species, but certainly with multiple numbers of their own species, um, being poorly fed, in some instances being badly looked after, um, and it's brutal. That is self. That is brutal. The the way they get moved around, darted, sold on auctions, um, that is brutal. The way they get slaughtered for the lion bone trade, the way 
they get shot in these hunts. It's all brutal. So, yes, well, I, I do. At, I what we're, to what we're seeing here is we're making it an industrialized farming. And, you know, farming has this wonderful connotation to it that there's somebody out there who's salt of the earth working the land. Industrialized farming, what we do to cows, sheep, and chickens, is a whole other can of worms. It's a whole other story. So now we are industrializing the farming of predators, carnivores, and it really is blurring the line between wild, iconic species, lions, and should we be industrializing carnivores, these predators, this majestic animal that is spun throughout our human history in terms of relationships with it, to it, and about it, to be something to be had for a buck, several bucks, so to speak, for a rare few people who have this mentality you were just talking about that it's there for them to kill and do with as they please. So on this note, um, our listeners, stick with us because we're coming right back and we're going to get a little bit more into the film Blood Lions. And please visit bloodlions.org is the website where you can see the trailer to the film Blood Lions and learn a lot more of the backstory, some of which we're talking about here today. And hopefully this will be a teaser to get you, my listeners, to go look up Blood Lions and learn more about this process. So stick with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. Welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss and my guest Ian Mickler, the um, creative leader and consultant on the team of Blood Lions, which is taking the world by storm, letting the cat out of the bag. It launched in South Africa, right in the heart of where uh, canned hunting is taking place today and uh, has been for quite some time. And uh, it next moves to Australia. Ian, when what what is the strategy for releasing the film, and when will be will we here in the U.S. and in Europe be able to see it? Okay, so um, first of all, I think I'd like to just say to to the American people, your listeners, that yes, it is true that um, the vast majority of the hunters that come here are from America. But we also have had some of the strongest support for bloodlines and what we're trying to achieve from America. So some of our biggest funders were American and some of the biggest um, support efforts that we are receiving are coming from, from, from the USA. Um, I can disclose that PBS USA um, will be looking to distribute the film internationally across the globe for us, which is a great, great um, thing for us and we're very very thankful about that um, the release and how exactly it happens in the USA is going to be up to PBS themselves um, so you'll have to keep watching the Bloodlines website 
um, to to um, know about that. But in the meantime, I'm going to Australia on the 31st of August, so just under a week's time, and we've got um, hosted private screenings there across the country in Perth, Melbourne, um, Sydney, Canberra, and that includes a, a screening in the Australian Parliament, uh, which is a way of also saying thank you to Minister Greg Hunt, who, as you and your listeners are aware, they became the first country to ban importation of lion carcasses or lion um, trophies out of Africa in an attempt to close down on can hunting. So there and, will be a global we, release. And we had talked about that previously, you know, if we cut off the arms of where lion trophies can be imported to, then killed lions, wild or canned, have no place to go. So hopefully that is an effective way to shut down on a, from a different angle the canned hunting industry. So um, it leads me to a question. You had an American hunter along with you on this trip, and um, you will be screening the film in the U.S. Does the film de- uh, address the U.S. hunting contingent? Well, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, we were very, very um, thrilled to have Rick Swayze, um, who, by the way, volunteered to be part of the film. Um, he saw a short clip and was completely outraged. Um, this clip was a fundraising clip we were using two to three years ago just to try and get interest in the film. And Rick, it was shown to Rick by a friend of a friend, and in fact, it was shown by the producer, Pippa. She had a friend over there, and Pippa showed it to someone, and someone showed it to Rick. Anyway, Rick was outraged, and Rick is a hunter. He's an American, and he's a hunter. But he's one of those deer tag hunters. He hunts to put food on the table, and that's it, one deer a year. Uh, anyway, so he came out, and he acted as our um, dummy hunter, as it were, when we set up a sting for the film. Um, now, he, I think, in time may well get involved in, in awareness campaigns with the film and with us around, um, you know, America, with American hunters. Um, but I think what we will probably do going forward is once we have our American campaign sorted out, in other words, exactly where we're going to go and when and how, um, that will dictate who exactly we do or don't address. So, do we, um, do we address the American hunting fraternity um, or do we just address the legislators and the mainstream conservation industry and let the American hunting industry fall into place or um, a combination of both? So that's still to be decided. But I think you know the campaign has two aspects to it and you've alluded to this already, Ellie. The first part is the legislation. So... We would love our own government and all affected parties to, to say, right, let's, let's deal with the, with the outrage. Let's deal with the fallout around the world from bloodlines and the obvious dislike um, and change the legislation. But if that doesn't happen, then the campaign aims to cut off all the revenue streams at the knees. That will take longer and it will be messier, but we have no doubt with it will work and you know, it starts with things like the airlines not carrying um, trophies. It starts with um, getting certain hunting organizations to stop supporting South Africa, travel agencies, tourism agencies, 
um, freight companies, shipping companies. So the campaign has legs, and we will do that if we have to. Well, it's as a result of Sasa the Lion and uh, Chris Mercer's campaign against hand hunting, there is been has been a lot of global attention to this. And yes, the U.S. has uh, risen up and is more aware of lions than ever before. Um, but I think we're still missing sometimes this issue uh, that lion breeding is going on. Do you have plans to perhaps be invited uh, or request pe- two-part question? Request people here in the U.S. to host a party and a screening. Is that an option? And second part, which require, might require a bit more of an extended answer on your part, how about uh contacting Safari Club International, Dallas Safari Club, through their members or through their um, boards to have a screening there or even the Explorers Club and National Geographic. Yeah, yeah. so again, all those options are on the table. Um, but again, as I said, we will, we will be guided to an extent by PBS as to what their thoughts are and how they see us um, promoting and marketing the film best in the country. Um, and then we will also get involved in private screenings, educational awareness screenings um, at various venues. So all of, all of those uh, options are open. National Geographic have already run a very, very um, insightful story. Um, the author was Dr. Kat Novak. And I think of all the stories that have appeared around bloodlines that particular one has has had one of the 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 biggest um hit records so um all of the above ellie every option will be investigated it's just um we're we're only in the very beginning phases at the moment of of the u.s campaign but what we do want to do is when we get there we want to make it as effective and as far-reaching as possible I have to say, though, that, that, you know, with regards to Safari Club International, they tend to be reactionary and they tend to be aggressive in their response to, to, to things like bloodlines. So they become very defensive and aggressively so initially rather than saying, you know what, um, these practices are unethical. There is no conservation value. Let's reach out to these guys and see whether we can stamp this out. So... Well, this comes, and, and this, this comes down to a real point of everything you've talked about, all your research over the past 20 years comes down to we have to find the common ground. So the common ground here is whether you're a hunter or a tourist or a photographer or just a person who loves wildlife, we all want lions around for the future. We would like to see wild lions in their natural habitat. So A, we need to bring up and secure habitat so lions can do what they do. B, if we want to hunt them, wild or captive, then they need to be there. So that is a common starting point. And even an organization like the NRA or Dallas Safari Club or Safari Club International has to recognize that point, wouldn't you say? Um, yes. Yes, I mean, I completely agree. Um, but as I say, the... You know, the record of, of, of the hunting bodies, barring the Sampio crowd, and, and let's, let's, let me also be true, it's growing. So those that are opposing these practices, um, the numbers are growing. So maybe in a year or two years from now, the, the, the momentum or the pendulum will swing. But at the moment, 
the vast majority are still defending the position of their right to kill or their right to hunt. They're defending the fact that there is a conservation message to what's going on in South Africa. Um, and as you've just said, they're now looking at creating new categories, you know, estate lions. Um, so that doesn't indicate to me that they're, that they're open to negotiation or they're even open to saying, you know what, you actually have a point there. Um, let's discuss it. Well what I also said. would want to point subtly well said. What I also want to say though, Ellie, is that you know the debate around wild lions and fair chase hunting, which was really encapsulated in the response to Cecil, that, that is a that is a that's regarded as a legitimate con uh, conversation um, because trophy hunting is still regarded as an acceptable tool. Uh, for wildlife management across Africa. So what Cecil has done, it's raised the profile of that debate and it's raised the urgency of that debate. But that is still uh, a, a legitimate debate and an accepted debate um, as to the role trophy hunting plays, how the money gets distributed, whether it does get, get distributed, what impacts it does or doesn't have on poaching and, and wildlife stocks. Bloodlines is dealing exclusively with the breeding and hunting of lands in captivity. And the film clearly shows that there is no conservation value, that everyone or nearly everyone regards it un as unethical. So, you know, what we have is a fudging of the issues. People like to smear or blur around the edges so that they can use one or the other when it suits their argument. And there are a number of the can hunters and the breeders who are very, very good at that. They try and create a bit of confusion. Um, and um, I guess up until now they've succeeded because it's continued to grow. Well, hopefully blood lions will um, bring a little more attention, like a neon arrow, to the distinction. Um, and there are several distinctions that we're talking about here. Wild lions, canned lions, um, whether we want lions around, um, unethical hunting, ethical professional hunting. We're in the old days, management versus conservation, the value of hunting to conservation, which is another argument and a talk for another day. But I'd like to get into something that... Um, I'd like to ask you, because you've been on this for so long and you have such an insight, that this is something I would like to learn from you. Let's say in a perfect world, canned lion hunting is stopped. We're no longer breeding predators to be shot in the bag for wealthy tourists, whatever, everything we've talked about. And we've uh, listed lions from the, the USSFW as endangered. Let's say all these wonderful things do come to pass. What happens to these lions, these eight, six to 8,000 lions that are currently in captivity, bred for the bullet, um, what happens to them? Uh, there's people like Kevin Richardson and um, other friends of mine that have predator rescue organizations that take in these lions because they cannot be released to the wild. Perhaps their offspring could eventually be released to the wild. So where do we find the funding to create sanctuary when it's so difficult to find the funding already for wild lion conservation, but seems really easy to find funding to go shoot a lion? Um, what happens to these lions? Where does the funding come? Or 
pardon me for saying it, this is not a belief of mine, but I have to ask the question, is there a way in terms of quote-unquote management so that funding from canned hunting could go to conservation? And the, the terrible thought that comes through my mind, auction off these lions that can't that have no other purpose um, other than to be bred for the bullet to raise money under a well-managed system which requires creating a well-managed system for the death of these lions that it's not a complete waste and um, it, it opens up a whole other can of worms but I guess in the end what happens to these lions do they just get slaughtered summarily um, as they have no value to the breeder or to the hunter or to conservation, or what happens to them? They're stuck in a catch-22. Yeah, okay. So I think the most important point you raised here is that we have to stop the breeding. And because when I started out in the 1990s investigating, there were less than a 1,000 of these animals in cages. When I did a report in 2005 for the then minister, of environment he was trying to clamp down. There were about three to three and a half thousand. There's now possibly as many as eight thousand. And if the trend continues, there may be fifteen thousand in the next five to six years. So it clearly shows that we have to stop the breeding somewhere. And if we stop the breeding, um, so we we stop all exploitative forms of, of, of breeding. And the only breeding that we allow would be run by proper ecologists, scientists and conservation agencies. These, these would have to be well-funded, peer-reviewed, and with a very definite release program at the end. But if we did stop all the breeding, exploitative breeding, we would know then that lions have a 12 to 15-year lifespan at the most, on average, in captivity. So the problem would be with us for another 15 years. So I think that's the first point. Stop the breeding, all breeding. Secondly, I think that if government does decide to act and close down, then there would be a time horizon. So they would probably say, well, by the end of year X, then, you know, we're going to stop all practices. In the interim, I can assure you that these breeders and traders and hunters will offer whatever lines they have at completely discounted prices to get rid of stock, as it were. And that's the hard, harsh truth of the situation. They have got no conservation um, credential. They're not interested in that at all. They're merely interested in the revenue streams. And if they can't make money out of it, they're not going to be interested in any other option. They would offer canned hunts for five, ten thousand dollars bam, and what didn't get hunted would probably get slaughtered for the lion bone trade. You'd have to euthanize probably some of them because the you know the, the genetics are so poor. And so you may only be left with a few hundred of these lions at the end of the day to take care of. Um, so in the perfect world, there would be no need for, for lion sanctuaries. Um, there are very few of them, um, and there are even less of them that are you know have no involvement or exploitative practices with these lions, with these predators. Bloodlines is against all forms of interaction, all forms of breeding, trading, um, and our wish is that Whatever lions are left, they get allowed to just live out their lives alone, in peace, in, within reasonable space. And after that, the only breeding we would ever have to deal with would be proper conservation projects being run 
by the well-established and recognized agencies, the Pantheras of this world, the Endangered Wildlife Trust, Wilderness Foundation, you know, the Wildlands Conservation Trust. These are the groups that um, are involved in proper lion ecology, behavioral studies, um, in conservation projects, and uh, in habitat rehabilitation, in reducing human-animal conflicts. And you know what's interesting, Ellie, is not a single lion facility in South Africa, whether it's a sanctuary or a farm or a can hunting operation, is working with any of the recognized lion ecologists or conservation agencies. So, um, as I say, it, it's, it's a case of stopping the breeding and then there will be, I'm sure, a sale of some sorts on all the lions and as horrible as it is, the problem at the end of the day probably won't be as big as we think it is, um, or we think it may be. And um, but that's where we've got to get to ultimately. And you know, if it's if it's unethical and there are no conservation practices or conservation merits, then you know, it, let's not sanction it at all. You, you can't you can't you can't sanction things that progressive societies uh, believe are unacceptable. You know, we can't have a little bit of the slave trade or we can't just bind some woman's feet, you know, or let's just... Uh, or a little bit of ivory you know, just, uh, or a little bit of kids. horn. Yeah, let, let's just beat kids softly, you know what I mean? This, these kids were naughty. Either you agree with corporal punishment or you don't, you know? Um, and um, so, and if you don't, you can't beat a kid softly. You, so, it's that's what we're saying. Bloodlines is saying... These are completely exploitative um, practices, and um, there is no conservation value. Uh, th there's no way to bring awareness or education around conservation or lands. Um, and, you know, the, the economic revenue streams are, are, are tiny as well. That's another issue. Yes, there's an economic revenue stream, but I can think of many, many practices that have significantly greater revenue streams, but we don't sanction them because as a progressive society, we don't tolerate that sort of behavior. Why do we tolerate what we're doing to lions and it has a minuscule revenue stream? Well, it, it comes down to we have to change what ultimately happens with lions, wild lions, and all other wildlife and habitat and the ecosystems they um are the architects of and that provide for our very survival whether we're living with a lion or not does affect all of us it's going to come down to the human decision and um, our willingness to stop being so greedy that we have the right to put a price on everything to commodify every kind of life there is on on the planet and I'd say come to our senses, evolve, grow up and understand that there are ethics we can follow and there are there's there is a morality lesson that we can teach to our children and become better human beings um, and, and coexist. You'd mention living with lions and you know, coexistence and human lion livestock. We can put efforts into mitigating those sorts of, of, of aspects of living with lions and bring up um, projects, I know of several, that help communities live with lions. Livestock guarding, dogs, 
um, GPS collaring, uh, condition taste aversion, all sorts of tools in a toolbox that we're not really using to address the real issues of wild lions living with people. There has to come a point where we are willing to live with live wildlife and that that benefits people, not just economically in the if it pays it stays or if it doesn't pay it goes mentality that payment comes in many forms. Yeah? I, yeah, I must, as I completely agree with you. And, um, you know, the predator breeding and canine hunting industry, as I've said, is brutal and it's based on greed. Nothing other than greed. Greed by the operators to make as much money and greed by the, the killers to come and get uh, a trophy that they can hang on their wall. There's no conservation value. It's a poor way to educate or bring awareness in these facilities, even the ones that don't hunt. And, you know, the others, the, the, there are all these sub-revenue streams now, the petting and the cuddling and the romping and the walking and the lion bone trade. So, um, you know, it's... Well, it's it comes down to there, there are animals that we can interact with, puppies, kitties, um, even some wildlife that is orphaned and is rescued that does not present a danger that um, to us. Lions are predators, they're carnivores, their instinct is to kill prey. That doesn't mean they can't be cuddly and friendly, like many um, personalities have shown, that um, lions are, have an emotional side and they appreciate love, friendship, and companionship, just like people. But I think it's getting down to the point, and you've said this so well, there are some animals we just should not be doing this with breeding them for us when they have a valid and valuable place in the wild and in the, in the role of the ecosystems. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, um, you know, you know on, on a broader issue, you know, it, it's that old thing. is I mean, it, it's the economic paradigm that in many ways has got us into this trouble. It's the economic paradigm that's been left unchecked. And we're now, we're in trouble. You can't refute that. And, Cat hunting is just a, a perverse perversity of that economic paradigm where um, it's everything's up for sale, and we have to change that approach. And hopefully, blood lions will do that. So, once again, listeners, please visit blood uh, www.bloodlions.org. Find out a lot more about the film, the backstory, um, a lot about Ian, his team, and why this film needed to be made. And uh, keep your eye on where it will be released. It's going to Australia next, which is very appropriate. And as a result of Ian's work and the, the ban in Australia, if you've been keeping up, and Cecil the Lion, if you've been keeping up on the news, so many airlines are beginning to not bring in trophy hunting. So it's going to be very interesting to see how all of this plays out over uh, time, especially in the very near future, to what happens to hunting and what happens to wildlife in Africa and foreign hunters wanting to pay a lot of money to kill it. Hopefully we'll find ways to bring up an economic incentive and benefit in Sutu, in Africa, where local people benefit from their live wildlife. So, Ian, we have a couple minutes left. What would be the the, the main takeaway in, in terms of our conversation today that you would like our audience to to to, to get? Well, I, it's it's 
it's quite simple. Uh, you know, if we're going to bring an end to these brutal practices, then uh, we need to respond. So if you're coming to South Africa, please do not visit any facility that offers any form of interaction with wildlife. Um, if you're a hunter, do not uh, sign do up for due, a, Yeah, Do uh, your due diligence and check your permits. Exactly. And, and yeah, correct. And if you're a young American student or volunteer who wants to come to Africa and get involved, do not sign up as a volunteer on one of these farms across the country. Stay away. Join one of the recognized conservation agencies. As I said, Panthera, WWF, uh, the Wildlands Conservation Trust, Wilderness Foundation. There are many of them. EWT. Um, these are the real people, uh, the, the people doing the real conservation work. And um, if you find yourself on one of these properties uh, and then ask the right questions, try, find out where will these lines come from, where are they going to. And if you don't like what you hear or see, then leave and report on it. And who do they report to? Who do, who do people report this um, these, uh, you go to the yeah, you go to the Bloodlines website, www.bloodlines.org. Call your volunteer agency who sent you to this to these places in the first place. Call your travel agent who sent you and said, "What are you doing? This is what's going on." You know, so I mean, yeah, it's about asking the right questions, um, and it's also about taking responsibility for those for the choices you've made. I think right there is the key, the operative thing you just said today, which is the main point of this program. Be responsible, make good choices, do your due diligence, and find out what it is you're doing. Because we have a wild world out there that needs us. It doesn't need us to interact with it. It doesn't need us to industrialize it. It needs us to give it space, room, and ways to move across the countries. So, uh, Ian, thank you so much uh, for our conversa conversation today. Pleasure, Ellie, and uh, thank you for having me. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure, and I wish you all the best of luck in uh, Australia and continued premieres, and I'll be looking forward to staying tuned in to this com conversation on what happens as a result of blood lions streaming across the world. So that's it for today. This is Ellie Weiss, my guest Ian Mickler, and Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.